Ms. Rackett, <laughs> Doug, Pete, Lisa, Larry, Rochelle, Randy, Glenn, and all the others that have labored for years. There's a lot at stake, amen? So we want to continue. Look around at these young people. And during the week, lift them up in prayer because we know what Satan wants to do. He wants to take them out. So we want to be faithful in that area. Amen? Amen. If I could get you to stand as the word of God is read this morning, as usual, I'll be reading from the first chapter of, of John, starting at verse 35. And the text reads as follows. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked upon Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you. I always want to remember your grace and your mercy and never forget that. Lord, I pray uh, that you will have your way this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that hearts would be softened, ears would be open to hear exactly what you have to say this morning. Move your servant out of the way and let your word come forth with great power and conviction. Again, may you increase while I decrease. Let the church say, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. As noted in your bulletin, the title of today's message is Ride or Die Believers. And some might not be familiar with that term. Originally, it was a uh, biker's term. And the bikers would say, I would rather die if I couldn't ride. And it's been adopted into urban culture to mean a person that's down for you 100%, that has your back through thick and thin, no matter what, they are going to go all the way with you. You So we want our spouses to be ride or die, right? This might get me in a little trouble, but I got me a ride or die chick over there. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> got me a ride or die chick over there. You want your spouse to be ride or die. You want your best friend to be ride or die. You want your family members, or you would like all of your family members to be ride or die but sometimes that's wishful thinking. Amen? <laughs> sometimes our, our, our people could be a little heavy on the ride, but light on the die. Amen? God expects us as believers to be ride or die believers. What I'm telling you is that God expects you to be 100% invested in the things of God and to see other people come to salvation, no matter what the cost. He expects us to be ride or die believers. And we look at the scriptures in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he called the disciples. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he was speaking to Andrew and Simon, and he said, come, I want to make you fishers of men. He talked about this at the beginning of his ministry, and then when you look at the end of his earthly ministry, he gave the great commission in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples. He was calling them to a life of evangelism. Now, when you think about that and you think about what your purpose is on this earth, it is to bring glory. I'm going to simplify it for you real quick. <laughs> it is to bring glory to God, 
using your talents and gifts, and seeing other people come to salvation. That is your purpose in life. Don't get it twisted and thinking that it's all about you. It's about you bringing, glorifying God through your gifts and abilities and bringing other people to salvation. So when we look at the text, I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We see uh, some examples, some characteristics that we can glean from the scriptures about what it takes to be a ride or die believer. In Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 1, the text reads as follows. And when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, and so that there was no longer room, even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they, were, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet of which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, arise and take up your pallet and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up his pallet and went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, there were a lot of things going on in this particular text. And I don't know if you all know anybody that's been paralyzed or if you experienced it on some level yourself. I have. I was actually, I used to visit my, my cousins out in Schaumburg, and my aunt was dating a guy named Lance. We called him Uncle Lance. Uncle Lance had a red two-door Mazda and two-seater. And so I wanted to ride in this car. And Uncle Lance was going back to Cabrini, Illinois from Schaumburg. Cabrini, Illinois. Yeah, you all didn't know that that was a city within a city. He was going back to Cabrini, Illinois. And I said, I wonder, can I go? Can I get a ride with you? He said, sure. Well, unbeknownst to me, my cousin Gene was going to ride with us. So I was the smallest one, so I squeezed into the middle, and it had to be about a two-hour drive from Schaumburg, bumper-to-bumper traffic. Well, when we got back to Cabrini, Illinois, I couldn't feel my legs. I sat in the car, and they pulled me out of the car and set me on the curb, and I sat there, and they, they thought this was the funniest thing. I could not get up. I was terrified, and they was just chuckling it up. And for like 20 minutes, all these different thoughts were running through my mind. Am I going to be able to regain feeling in my legs? This had never happened to me before. It was very, very unnerving. I was terrified. And I think about this particular individual in the text being paralyzed. 
it's a pretty desperate situation. And you see, the reality is, is that when you're in that condition, they didn't have uh, the little, what you call the little rascals that you motorize around on to get around in those days. They didn't have what we call a wheelchair that you can move from place to place. This brother had to rely on somebody to take him from place to place, to move him. His mode of transportation was people. They had to pick him up and carry him. And then oftentimes, what were you going to do uh, when you paralyzed for employment? Typically, what happened was these individuals were left begging and depending on others to meet their needs. And so I, I looked at this, and, and I was imagining on the text, this is Brandon talking, imagining his friend seeing him in that condition, seeing him in that condition, and they're going, man, what, what, what can we do? And they, they were probably, this wasn't the first time that they had probably moved him from place to place. They had probably done this on several different occasions. But see, when you are a ride or die believer, one of the characteristics is, is that you have compassion. You have a heart for the loss. You have a heart for the lost, and here's, they, they decided when the text says, and when they had heard that he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard, he was at home. Now, the scholars say that this was probably Peter's house that Jesus had taken temporary residence at. And they said that folk had gathered, it was so many people had gathered together so that there was no longer room at the door, near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they had gotten word somehow, this paralytic, these four men had gotten word that there was a man that was doing miraculous things. He was giving sight. He was he giving, casting out demons. He was curing folks of various diseases. He was doing all these different things. And they said, man, if we could get our friend to Jesus, his situation can be turned around. These brothers had a heart for the lost. Now I ask you today, do you have a heart for those that are lost? And how that manifests itself, how much time do you spend praying for those that are lost? We all know people that don't need Jesus, I mean that do need Jesus, and we got to figure out a way to get them to them. Amen? How many of us know, huh? I know a ton of people. I got family members, I got neighbors, I got all kinds of people. And then the question I have to ask myself is, do I have a heart for the lost? In Romans 10, 1, Paul says, Brother, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. We need to be praying for those believers, those non-believers, I'm sorry. We need to be praying for them that they will come to salvation. So it's not just one thing to have compassion and a heart for the loss. At some point, you're going to have to take action. You're going to have to do something. God is going to call you to take some kind of action. The prayer is good. That is the most powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That's our vehicle, our means of communication with our Savior. It's an important thing in the first step. But God at some point is going to call you to take action. And here's what these brothers did. He says, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by the four men. I call them the faithful four. So the first thing is that we're going to have to have compassionate hearts for the lost. The second thing is God is going to call us to take action. We're going to have to do something. And see, here's what happens. When you decide to take action, 
Sometimes it's not going to be convenient. It's not going to be convenient. And when you look at the text, it says, and they, they came, he came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men and being unable to get to him because of the crowd. So it was so many people that was packed out. And they came to the door. They're like, man, we can't. What do we do at this point? Most people would have just turned around and told them, say, hey, man, why don't we come back another day? They said, why don't we, you know, this isn't, a, this isn't a good time to tell them about Jesus right now. They're pretty busy. There's a lot of people around. Maybe we'll, we'll deal with this another day. But see, when you're a ride or die believer, you don't stop when you face adversity. You keep it moving. You don't stop when you face adversity. I was talking to Maverick uh, some months back, and Maverick had a scar on him, and I asked him, I said, Maverick, what happened to you? And Maverick looked at me, and he had this straight look on his face. He said, just a little adversity. I was, so I looked, I was like, huh? I turned sideways. I said, man, that looked more than a little adversity. That looked pretty serious. But that stuck with me. So people ask me how, how I'm doing, how you're dealing with that challenge. I say, I, I quote Maverick, just a little adversity. <laughs> just, a, just a little adversity. And keep it moving. These brothers didn't stop. See, when you're a ride or die believer, you stay committed and press on even through adversity. The text tells us is that, and when they had dug an opening, these brothers had gotten on the roof. They dug an opening. They let the pallet down on which the paralytic was lying. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> if I'm Peter and I'm looking at, we've had torrential rains the last few days, right? If I'm Peter and I see some people digging a hole, and it wasn't just a little hole. This had to be a big hole, big enough to let a grown man through. We talking a whole hole. If I'm Peter, what's going to be going through my mind? Who's going to pay for my roof? What's going on here? Who's going to fix that? Amen. Now, the text doesn't tell us. That's Brandon talking, but I'm speaking for Peter. It said, man, you know, I'm wondering who's going to pay for this. I got already got enough to do around this house. But see, when you ride or die believer, you don't pay attention to the cost. Because see, if Jesus can restore folks' sight, he can raise folk from the dead, he can heal various diseases, he can definitely take care of that roof. You see, there might be times where you're going to be inconvenienced. Somebody calls you at midnight and say, hey, I need your help. I'm struggling with this thing. And you're like, man, I got to be at work at 5 a.m. If I go meet them, I'm going to be messed up tomorrow. It's going to cost you something when you purpose to be a ride-or-die believer. And one of the errors, it might cost you money. And people hate to part with their money. Amen? I've talked to some of you all. That guy sitting in that back room back there, he hate to part with that money. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Darius. <laughs> it's going to cost you something. But our God has a bankroll that you can't believe. <laughs> he can, per, he can it fill your account up just like that. Amen? Don't, don't get caught up on the cost of it. Amen? What it's going to cost you. Just do it. Be obedient and understand what's at stake. And Jesus, seeing their faith, 
their faith, meaning all four of them, plus the paralytic. He said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I had a, I had a, a semi-issue with this. <laughs> if I'm, the, if I'm the, the paralytic and I'm coming to Jesus, I heard what you did for those other people. Now, you're telling me my sins are forgiven. That's not why I came. I came so that I might walk again. I heard what you did for them. Now you telling me I appreciate the, my sins being forgiven, but Jesus, I, I came to you so that I could walk again. I, I didn't come for that. But what he didn't understand is that this decision would affect him for eternity. Now whether you could walk, once I get to heaven, I'll be able to walk again. But if I've spent this time and, and, and my sins aren't forgiven, I am going to spend eternity separated from God. What a desperate state to be in. Amen? Amen? The scribes also had issues with this, and they were actually right. They were actually right. The text says, but there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They are absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins, but they didn't know who they were messing with. They didn't know who they were dealing with. They didn't recognize that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah. And it's funny, in my little crazy head, I wouldn't really want to be hanging out with Jesus. Jesus knows stuff that I think sometimes, I'm going to keep it real. Sometimes I'll be thinking some crazy stuff. And so Jesus knows what you're thinking. He's <laughs> saying, like, Brandon, why are you thinking that? Like, mm. <laughs> he know what you're thinking. The text tells us that immediately Jesus, within his spirit, and they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk. And Jesus said, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. Man, can you imagine that? You imagine that being in that, in that presence and witnessing this and being a person that was partly, I contributed in some way in regards to these four men, bringing him and then seeing their friend fully restored to full health. See, when you're a ride or die believer, you enjoy seeing lives transformed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? I remember who I was before I came to the Lord. You know, there was a guy in our neighborhood named Big Jake. Big Jake was, uh, he was a tough dude. I mean, Jake, nobody messed around with Big Jake. And my next door neighbor, her boyfriend used to beat her up. I mean, like, really beat her up. And I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of almost semi-embarrassed to tell y'all this. I slept in the closet in, our, in the row houses. When you came up the stairs, it was a closet. So that was actually my room that I slept in. And it's right next door to her apartment so I could hear everything that's going on. And he would be punching this lady and she would be screaming like, ah! I mean, screaming like somebody was uh, killing her. And 
This particular day, he had beat her all the way down the stairs, and they didn't have a screen door, so she was hanging off the porch. I opened the front door to see what was going on, and she looked at me, and I felt I had to be about eight, nine years old. This was a grown man, and I'm thinking, there's really nothing I could do but God. (laughs) But God. Big Jake showed up. Big Jake showed up, and he said, hey, man, why don't you take her in the house and do that, man? Why are you going to do that out here? His, his thinking was crazy still. <laughs> and he said, mind your own business. He didn't know who Big Jake was. Big Jake said, what did you say to me? He said, mind your own business. Big Jake literally knocked him into the next day. I kid you not. He hit him so hard, that guy was knocked out completely. He came back to my house the next day and asked me who punched him. I said, dude, listen, if I told you who punched you, you ain't going to be able to do nothing about it. (laughs) And if I tell you, you might get the other eye shut. So you might want to just let it go. But Big Jake didn't play around. And at my my grandmother's funeral, we were were at the church on Orleans, and um, Big Jake comes walking out. And he's got a suit on and tie, and he's got these white gloves on. Big Jake is now a deacon at the church. I looked, I said, what? He said, yeah, yeah, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I was like, really? I said, it was kind of like when Paul got saved. I was like, really? This guy knows Jesus? And we conversated, and his whole life had been transformed, all because somebody, somebody presented the gospel to him. Amen? Somebody, I was excited for him and to see what God did. You had to know him before to understand the power of God to change Big Jake. Amen? But somebody had to present the gospel to the brother. Somebody had to reach out to him. Somebody had to be the arms, the hands, the feet to go and share the word with Big Jake. I praise God for his redeeming blood. Amen? Because once was I, once was I, somebody had to present the gospel to Brandon Savage in 1985 at Camp Sunshine Wind at the cabin on the hill, little knucklehead kid running around causing havoc, (laughs) amen, and to see what God did, amen. I'm getting tired up here, but I'm going to tell you, I... A couple years ago, probably two, three years ago, a friend of mine, Keith Norman, uh, shared this story with me. And it wasn't until this past week that I went back and verified the story. I always like to do my homework before I say stuff. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, that didn't happen the way he said it. And I, I went back. He told me a story about Lomas Brown. Lomas Brown was an offensive lineman for the Detroit Lions. Lomas Brown was interviewed on a national radio station and ESPN, and this is what Lomas Brown said. He said, we were playing the Detroit Lions. We were playing the Detroit Lions, and my quarterback, Scott Mitchell, was stinking it up. I mean, he was throwing interceptions after interception. And he said he was stinking it up. And you see, the job that Lomas Brown had was to protect the quarterback. And those are not familiar with football, the offensive lineman job is to protect the quarterback from the defenders, keep them off of them, 
open holes for the running back. Lomas Brown said he, Scott Mitchell was stinking it up, so what I decided to do, I turned to my center and I told him, I said, I'm about to get this guy out of here. And he said, I got what's called gator arms. When they snapped the ball, he said he got gator arms, and he let the defender come through and hit his quarterback on purpose. And the guy that was interviewing him, he said, so you just let the guy run right past you? He said, no. He said, I make it look good. He said, I got a little actor in me. And he said, Scott Mitchell was hit and broke his finger and was out. Had hurt his finger, and, and they had to take him out of the game. And I got mad because, see, there's an unwritten rule and. You know, those that Gus and, and John will tell you, guys that have played the game, there's an unwritten rule that when everybody lock arms in football and it, we all are giving 100%, and then to hear one of your teammates say that he deliberately didn't do his job. I got mad. I said, man, I could just go through and Lord help me. <laughs> Calm down. Who would do that? And then I thought about us as believers we're allowing people to go to hell when we're not sharing the gospel with them, when we're not doing our job. I can't, I can't call out Lomas Brown because sometimes that's Brandon Savage. Sometimes that's Brandon Savage, and Brandon Savage will sometimes say, hey, that's inconvenient. I really don't have time. I got to get here. I'll share the gospel with him later. I'll come back another day. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to see that person again. There's no guarantee that you are going to have an interaction with that person tomorrow, next week. We got to take action today. When you're a ride or die believer, you go now and you do it. You do your job on a day-in and day-out basis, putting your personal agenda aside. There's a lot at stake. I want to challenge you all this morning want to challenge you all this morning. Don't let those opportunities go by. I've done it. I can stand up here and confess I've done it. I've had people that I've had close interactions with, and I was, they knew I was a believer, but I wasn't really up front in their face challenging them on where they are spiritually. And one of the things I, I want to point out with these guys, they didn't give up. Sometimes you got to think outside the box. And you say, man, how could I get to that person? They, they, they reject you and say, you know what, I, I, I don't want to come to church. You might have to think outside the box. How can I, I meet them where they are? And I've had a transformation in my thinking over the past <laughs> um, few months. God has really convicted me on this and really challenging me to go to those dark places. Go to those dark places and meet those guys where they are. Now, I say that to say that I'm not telling you to go to the club <laughs> and try to witness in the club if you're struggling in that particular area. But I notice on my job, what I typically do is I kind of, I only will go so far with those guys in terms of where, you know, going to the bar and all those different things. And I try to limit my contact outside of the business portions of our meeting to just that. So God has said, no, no, rub shoulders with those guys. It's a whole lot at stake. You're going to need to, to be upfront and bold and present the gospel to them every opportunity 
that you get. You're going to sometimes have to come out of your comfort zone. You're going to sometimes have to get dirty. You're going to sometimes have to go into your bank account. You're going to sometimes have to put your personal agenda aside. Man, I had, I had plans for today. I, we were, my family was going to go out for dinner. We were going to do this. You might have to lay that aside to meet somebody else's need and understanding what's at stake. God help us not to be like Lomas Brown. Amen. I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe, um, I don't know, I, I, I like to keep it small, but just pray that God would give you the sensitivity to know when to take action. And a lot of times people think, well, you know, I don't know what to say to people to share the gospel. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of the elders in the church. I'm not, I don't teach Sunday school. I don't, no, you don't have to be. <laughs> you don't have to be <laughs> to do that, to tell people, hey, what, what God has done in your life. You don't have to be. Just tell them what he's done in your life. Sometimes it's just handing them a track and walking them through the track. Amen? It doesn't, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. I know some of the young people are probably sitting here going, hey, I'm too young to worry about that. No, you're not. I've seen plenty of kids lead their parents to Christ. The whole Sunshine Gospel Ministry in Cabrini was designed as kids would come and they li- their lives would be transformed and they would go home and tell their parents about what they learned. And then the parents would get involved and that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So they can't use the excuse, I'm too young. We can't use the excuse, we're too busy. So I want to challenge you again. Pick out at least to purpose to do it once a day. Make that a, 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 a practice of figuring out ways to share your faith with people on a daily basis. We all come in contact with somebody on a daily basis. Amen. We all got family members that we could pick up the phone and call and say, I just want to pray for you. I just want to tell you about how my life was transformed. You might be here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and listening to our young people um, on the video uh, share those things. He is the Son of God. All you have to do is confess your sins before him. Repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you will be saved. It's just that simple. Just that simple. My prayer is also that we would take action in this area. And if that's you this morning and you want prayer, and say, I'd ask that you stand. I know for me, I need to stand <laughs> purpose to be the first one telling you I struggle sometime in this area. And I want to be a ride or die believer. I want to be uh, seeing folk that I've had a hand. We can't save anybody ourselves, but God can do it and use us as a tool. You know, I was listening to Pastor Ford, and Pastor Ford said, is there anything better than going to heaven? Anything better than going to heaven? And everybody said, no, no, there's nothing better. He said, actually, there is. He said, taking somebody else with you. And I said, right on, Pastor. You hit the nail on the head. So let us pray. Oh, Father, we just thank you for 
how you just love on us and never give up. Lord, even when we drop the ball and we miss opportunities to minister to others, Lord, we purpose today, myself and those that are standing, to be ride-or-die believers, those individuals that are 100% committed to bringing glory to your name and seeing others come into a relationship with you with the understanding that eternity is at stake. Help us not to allow our agendas to get in the way. Help us not to be concerned about our finances. You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We don't have to worry about that. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you and just pray that your Holy Spirit would allow us to be sensitive to those around us, to have compassion for the lost lifting them up in prayer. Lord, not turning when things get tough. Lord, working through adversity. Lord, not being uh, overreacting in terms of what it's going to cost us. Help us to be faithful in this area like these four men carrying their friend to Jesus. And may the church say, amen. Amen. Thank you.